welcome back to Play Hype Dialogue, the podcast where we play shows, get hype, and dialogue. Peace, everybody, and welcome back to Play Hype Dialogue. On today's episode, we are talking about episodes five and six of Cursed. But before we do that, how was everyone's Halloween? My Halloween was pretty low-key. We stayed home um, and at the last minute decided to do a little Harry and Hermione from Harry Potter because <laughs> I casually had Gryffindor scarves around the house. Uh, so we threw those on, did a little photo shoot. That was fun. Took a little break from work. Um, and that was it. Oh, we went. I also went. I really enjoyed. Um, we took uh, a little bike ride around uh, the Bronx and got to stop by some businesses that we know and see kids out and about just kind of like getting getting some candy doing some Halloween fun stuff and that made me feel good in my heart because I was like man this is <laughs> a sad Halloween and it was nice to see the neighborhood kind of pulling together and putting on some little things that were outdoors and kind of socially distant so that hopefully young people got a chance to at least do something kind of fun I mean it's been such a grim you know year plus I didn't, i'm just out of curiosity why i didn't do a couple's costume with ron and hermione i mean it was, it was unplanned so, <laughs> and andrew had glasses and i didn't want to make him be ron just because i'm obviously hermione <laughs> so we were just we were just playing around it's okay we have identities other than being a couple omar she's literally talking last week like we're gonna do a couple's costume of black panther and black widow we were also a couple either couple dancers i'm just like all right stay on brand then (laughs) yeah we were just playing around yeah fair what about you Um, nothing i i we stayed home and obviously (laughs) so you know not one doorbell rang you know, I was going to ask that. No, do you, do you no. normally have trick-or-treaters by you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, in my town, it's gone down every year. And then this year, it was just like completely none at all, which I think was the safest option for for us, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was honestly pretty chill. And then, um, I don't know. I had a good dinner. <laughs> that, that was, and It's just a shame because Halloween is one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite. Um, but yeah, I think it was low key. I I kind of forgot it was the thirty first for a second, and yeah, then like I, I saw like all these things on Instagram, like it's Halloween full moon, like everybody, it's powerful. And I was like, all right, fair, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I didn't do anything, but <laughs> you know. Yeah. What about you, Carlos? I ordered um, some Puerto Rican food because um, I haven't had it in a while, um, and probably won't be going to Thanksgiving. Um, with my mom um, and dad. <laughs> I don't know why I spaced it out like that. I probably aren't, I'm not going to do Thanksgiving with my parents. Um, so I was like, oh, let me treat myself to some Puerto Rican food, put some down for the ancestors, um, watch this new scary movie on Netflix, His House. Yo, I had to play video games after because I was a little scared of things that go bump in the dark. <laughs> hey. So if you're looking for a good scary movie after watching Cursed, check out his house on Netflix. Nice. <laughs> so something else a little scary. Uh, we got the <laughs> election this week. How are we feeling? <laughs> That was a perfect transition. I was just thinking that. I was just like talking about spooky. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so we're heading into a super 
uh, what I think is going to be a super contentious week um, in U.S. recent yeah. history. I think probably one of the most contentious kind of time periods we've been in. And I'm very concerned. I don't mean to be alarmist, but um, I'm very concerned about kind of what is going to break out um, with the election, especially with the discrepancy between um, who's going to vote the day of and the mail-in ballots. And yeah. um, I'm I'm pretty concerned uh that Trump's base in particular is going to uh, get out in the streets. Uh, I know Walmart pulled ammunition from their shelves. Get out. Because there, uh, yeah, yeah. Because there's there's been an uptick in ammunition sales <laughs> in recent weeks. Terrifying. So all I have to say, all I want to say on this episode going into this election is that hopefully by the time we're recording for next week, we know who's won this election. Hopefully it's Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, and regardless of who it is, we need to definitely get ready for, you know, a, a lot of community struggle going forward. And I think everybody needs to do what you can to stay safe this week. Touch touch base with check in with your communities because um, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah. We, <laughs> Meanwhile, enjoy this podcast. Right. <laughs> it was like, Love you. No, we were we were talking and I was like, I don't think because like, you know, the past few weeks I've gone like out like, you know, once a week, just a little bit um you know, take a drive and i was like i don't think i'm gonna do that this week i was like because i'm gonna stay home and chill my mom was like um i'm gonna make uh brownies and i was like that's a good idea <laughs> so um yeah it's it's a lot and i think the fear is also like regardless of the results there's going to be very yep. upset folks and i just don't want to be out when that's happening so i was like you know but it's, it's fine you know i've got all my supplies and yeah i'm just gonna stay in and they're saying anyway we need to do like an extra quarantine because that's the other thing it seems like those numbers are going up with covid cases so it's they just really like, are yeah this has gotten to be quite the year and like this particular last few weeks have been especially challenging so yeah that's my take yeah we generally hope to bring you joy and laughter with some of our hot takes during episodes five and six of cursed um but yeah there's a lot of anxiety between covid it's flu season um the election um regardless of what happens stay safe stay smart socially distance um, and wherever uh, the election results land, we've still got work to do. And we hope that you continue to listen in um, as we continue our journey here for the fun side of things, but also get involved in your community and local organizing because um, it's important to work locally, um, especially now. Yes. So if we've got nothing else, let's roll episodes five and six of Cursed. Let's do it. Today, we're going to be discussing episodes five and six of Cursed. Uh, <laughs> let's get some uh, initial feedback. Carmela, what did you think of these past two episodes? So here we are, episodes five and six. I, I really enjoy episode five and a little less so episode six, but I'm really appreciating the character work that's happening at this point in the series where we're kind of, we're at the middle point, the midway point and, and a little bit beyond um, and things are picking up. I feel like these episodes were both packed 
maybe more five than six because six has kind of that long longer action sequence which was enjoyable but just different um so i'm enjoying the character work i feel like there's lots to unpack and i feel like the series is getting more and more exciting and intricate which i appreciate what about you carlos definitely agree talking about five and six um Usually I take notes when I'm watching so that I have something to talk about. There's so much to talk about. (laughs) Yes, I am king of the nerds. There's so much to talk about. There's lots of action. Like Melissa, there's lots of character work. There's um, a lot of emotional stuff that goes down. Like there's some reveals that we're going to get into that really change the way the story's going to unfold. And I'm really excited to see what happens in the last four episodes as we run down to the end of the, the season. All right. So um, what character do you guys want to talk about first? You know, my favorite. I can talk about him all day. Him all day. I was going to say that this, these episodes, and again, I think especially episode five, had some one-liners that were delightful right. um and one of those was from pim <laughs> when they find her like uh, as a stowaway on this viking boat that she has hopped on mm-hmm. um and then there's the whole kind of this side plot and the conversation and she comes to be their healer uh, but she's not when they're deciding whether or not they're going to keep her or not she, they're like fey or bad luck and she's like i'm not fey and then the guy's like no no fey or healers and he's trying to tell her like yes yeah, say you're fey and she's like i am fey and then she leans into it and she's like i'm a healer and she's like never lost I'm a patient <laughs> no, i'm the healer of all of my villages all the, the villages one, my villages next door too <laughs> pim classic I love him. I love him. I love, and I like this. Um, I'm kind of glad that she got out of the fisherman thing. Yes. Um, what do we? Th- Here's the thing, though. What do we think about her potential new Viking love interest? Because I like him so far, but there's a part of me that's like, can we trust him yet? I'm not sure, but I do like the interaction. <laughs> So that was a purr from Mela, of all people. <laughs> um, so adding on to the purr, <laughs> um, I do think it's great. So um, we're recording this on launch day. So we just released our first episode on Cursed Episode 1 to the world. Um, and of course, had to re-listen to it to just quell my anxiety. And in that, we talk about how Pim is proposed or promised to the fishmonger and we're like some smelly fish guy, which I think is something that actually I forgot about by the time we got to episode three when um, she's alive and comes back. So it's nice that she gets to escape. She gets to have an adventure that's not necessarily explicitly tied to Nimue's adventure. Um, I hope she doesn't just become the love interest of this Viking dude and that's not the sole part of her story um but it is nice that she got out and she's introducing us to new characters so one of the things that viking boyfriend um who i don't know if he has a name yet um viking boyfriend viking boyfriend um (laughs) i don't uh like he introduces us to the red spear um we meet cumber the ice king at the beginning of this episode so there are lots of people who are vying for rulership 
over this kingdom and are challenging uh, Uther Pendragon for the throne. And so her meeting up with him is bringing all of those players into the game in a way that we didn't necessarily know to expect from the first few episodes. Yeah, agreed. I I enjoy it too. She has her own storyline going on. And if anything, at this point, it's more like he's has entered as her love interest. She's she's the center of that particular storyline for us yeah. as viewers because we don't know these other people. Um, but Carlos, you did also remind me the opening scene of episode five is pretty brutal. And we talked in, in our first episode or two about the tone of the show being like it started, it seems somewhat whimsical. And then this was just like, just and further further confirmation that it is it's not. Glory. It gets glory yeah. this show, and I remember I was like when they when we first saw the what are they the, the ice people what are they called? I don't think we know the name of the people, um, but it's they're led by Cumber the Ice King. There we go. I am intrigued by this group. I'm wondering how are they in relation? Like, are they anti Red Paladin? Are they going to be like eventual allies? I don't know. I like I like. The introduction, though, I think it's super interesting. And, and I like that the pimp is sailing off with them. Also, this is going to sound... I kind of like the... I know this is, like, off-topic. I actually really like the styling of this group. Mm-hmm. I think it's, like, super interesting. Um, I don't know. I remember, like, the, also the captain, I think, is a woman, which I think is awesome as well. Yeah, and it, well, it's interesting, too, because even they introduce this... And this is what I'm enjoying about this show with the intricacies they start the scene with the uther what what is it the ice uther pendragon not uther um what's his name the ice king cumber guy. the ice king cumber my bad cumber the the ice king Ooh, and there's cute, cumber <laughs> they're uh <laughs> nice i'm here all week <laughs> um they're they're like super brutal and when we meet pim and her vikings <laughs> They're against the other Vikings. So the Red Spear, the ship that she's sailing on now, the Red Spear with the woman captain with the with the dope side haircut, they're going off to take down Cumber the Ice King. Oh, so, awkward. I thought they were the same. No, they're set two separate. Yeah, it's because it's intricate. It's like I'm like bold move. They just introduced two sets <laughs> of Vikings. Bad. My bad. <laughs> But I feel like they come from like a similar because I confuse them a little bit. There's something there. There's some sort of they they allude to. I mean, they know each other, so I don't know if they split or what. Like, yeah. there's there's something going on. So, what do we think about what's going on in the Fey Village? I have a lot to talk about with the Fey, especially as sort of like a marginalized people allegory, um, which is something that we sort of hinted at in previous episodes. Even though we don't know exactly where uh, Cumber or the Red Spear um, align themselves in terms of their allegiance to or against the Red Paladins, at least with the Red Spear, we know that they hate Faye just as much as everyone else. Perhaps they're not going to join actively in the genocide, but they're like, Faye or bad luck. If there's so much as a dead bird on this ship, like we're going to kill you. There are worse things than drowning. Um, So they're really threatening Pym from the jump. Perhaps they are slightly better than the Red Paladins, but I don't know if we quite know where they fit in I think they're significantly dynamics. better though, because they know that she's Fey and they 
they're like, yeah, we'll keep you. Just heal our people. I don't think that struck me as like a utilitarian kind of like, if you can be useful, (laughs) you can stay. Yeah. But I feel like the red paladins don't have that even like, like they they didn't even want to use fey remedies on the, on the the sick guy in the coven and the, the nunnery. Where is it called? Convent? The uh, Abbey, the Abbey. (laughs) The Abbey. I feel you, but as we see in this episode, there's something about the weeping monk in his market difference from everybody else because he is the only one who's wearing the black. He's always got that um, dark eyeshadow on or like the weeping mascara or whatever. I feel like one of the twists in the later part of the season is that he is Faye and that he's the only one that they're using. Um but everyone else doesn't seem to have a utilitarian purpose the way at least these people are like, okay, we're going to tolerate you because you can service us. Um, I am nervous um, if we could shift ever so slightly to talk about Sister Iris. Um, So Sister Iris is dusty and dirty when we first see her. Um, She's taken off most of the clothes she's wearing before, but she's still wearing her red sheet. She comes up on some red paladins and it's like, hey, I want to be a red paladin. And they're like, no, you're a little kid. You're a girl. Like, it's not going to happen. Then she um, is like, no, but I really want to. Um, And they're like, okay, bring us the head of the wolf blood witch. And so you see like a close up of her face and she's like, "Bet I'm going to bring you the head of the witch. Later, I'm not sure if this is episode five or episode six, but since we're talking about them together, it works. Um, She has hunted we can assume a pig killed it and is eating it. And there are some fey young people. Um, there's some kids, maybe some grownups that join her. She shares her food and they're like, we'll help you. We'll take you somewhere safe. She ends up at Mimos. And in episode six, we find out, boom, boom, boom. She now knows for sure that Nimue, formerly Sister Alice, is the wolf blood witch and is in this place where now she is hiding in plain sight because no one knows who she is i'm like waiting for either nimue and morgana to see her and be like hold up just like look over yeah (laughs) right there you know um and what do you do with her like you can't just kill her in cold blood because then you're going well, I'm saying I, mean, I feel like, like uh, I feel like Morgana is going to be like right there, like, oh, hold on, this is for Celia, and then like you know. So I feel like there are some in the city of Nemos that would be down for that, but I feel like the way some of the morality is being engaged in, Nimue would not be cool with just like killing her in cold blood. But you can't really send her off because she's gonna snitch and be like hey, I know where all of them are to use that as a way to get into the paladins, like fighting tooth and nails. Yeah, I mean, if they at least knew who she was, they could stop her from doing harm, though. They could... But is it even in cold blood? Like, she literally burned down the abbey and killed... They don't know that. I'm... Sh- okay, that's true. So this right. is one of those cases of dramatic irony. We as the audience know that she did that. We know she's a bad seed. I feel like Morgana didn't trust her when they were in the Abbey together, which was part of the reason why she fled. I don't know how much is going to come out beforehand. Um, All right. Keeping up with this uh, storyline with Iris, let's also talk about how, one, Squirrel is alive. We're all thrilled. 
Um, and two, he's kind of now cool with Iris and is going to teach her how to kill. What I found interesting is that when they're doing the whole um, bow and arrow practice, or no, before that, there's a, when, you know, the, they're kind of like trying to insult each other and like be as like gory as possible. Like, I will slit your thumbs and drink the blood. I was like, all right, chill out. <laughs> but um, I kind of see a little connection, like a little friendship almost blossoming. Like they kind of chuckle at each other. And then they're like, yeah. Let, and then Squirrel's like, I'll, I'll help you out. And then when they're talking again, it almost feels like he gets a little bit scared of her and like a little unweary because he's like, what? are you talking about? And then he like kind of was like, I'm going to go, you stay practicing. So it's, I think it'll be a very interesting, I almost wonder if Squirrel was meant to bring up a little bit of her humanity or her, even her childness. That makes sense to to highlight the fact that she's a child. Cause I do think that would be the reason that they wouldn't harm her if they, because I feel like if they discover her there, it's like, they know the whole Abbey burnt down and there were no survivors. <laughs> if she's there covertly living, they're going to be like, yeah, but she is a child. And I do, I do think that scene kind of reminds the audience of that, but I do also, I also appreciate what Omar said. Squirrely was not convinced. He was like, wait, but be cool. Don't be, <laughs> he said, wait, be cool. He was definitely uh, skeptical of her. Yeah. In that, and, I think it was their second scene. Yeah, after he shows her how to shoot, they have that interaction. And I'm like, I don't know what that's setting up because the Green Knight, uh, Gawan, one of Nimue's childhood friends who we'll probably talk about, um, is like, no, Squirrel, you can't go. Like, you can avenge your family, but not today. Um, I wasn't sure where he was going to go, if he was going to sneak out and try to join them, if he's going to find... Like, what do you do in that situation other than, okay, I'm going to leave you to practice this now deathly art that I've taught you. There are so many, like, psychological aspects of this that how do you deal? Your entire world is destroyed. Like, there is nothing. And then now you've engaged with this young person who is sus. Like, yikes, gritted teeth. Like, okay, I was going to make dirty jokes, but, like, you're matching me and taking it to another level, like... No, but not even that. She was saying, like, like if I had liked my parents, like, I would have gone, like, berserk on the people. And, and he's, he's kind of seeing that she's, like, she's not, like, a child that I've met before. So, I don't know. There's that whole thing. But um, we can move on from that. Do we want to talk about the Green Knight and some of the other Fae that are... And then I think we'll save we'll save um, Nimue's whole thing for the end. I think yeah, that's a good idea. I think we should at least say something about the Green Knight entering into the story. Go I'm on. not like. Are you like at all? Like he came in and I was just like, all right. Me too. He's not an engaging character for me. I think he was just almost kind of set up to be like that sort of machismo battle with Arthur for yep. Nimue's attention, and then also for like we're warriors and I'm fae, but you're man blood and you know like that whole like kind of puffing up chests uh interaction which I was kind of just like what's going on and they give him and Arthur like a whole long like back and forth for a lot of episode six which was like 
it was whatever. I didn't like, I didn't need, you saw it coming. I didn't really need it, but like I had to play it out, I guess, to give some, some dramatic weight to the scene. But his name, Omar, maybe you know more about this. Like, isn't that a name of like the night, a night from the round table? I don't think so. Gawain. That's what it is. Gawain. Gawain. I really don't know. Is King in the legend is King Arthur's nephew and a knight of the round table. I just thought that was interesting because I Googled him when he came on the screen because the way they set up the scene too, it was like the green knight and he walked in and she was just like, and it was like slow-mo and they were like, and then he turned and she was like, Gawain? (laughs) And I was like, wait, am I supposed to know who Gawain is? (laughs) Maybe. So maybe maybe a lot. I think he's a minor character in the legend. I don't know a lot about it, but. Maybe we should have like a list of the Knights of the Round Table. <laughs> so, then, so then we're like, oh, wait a minute. Like this actually might end up being somebody important. But um, yeah, I don't know. The, the interaction, I didn't think was that interesting. It's like, all right, blast from the past. And everybody's excited. He doesn't want to give the sword to uh, Merlin. She's like, mama's last dying wish. So I'm doing it. So I don't know. I don't think there's like too much to discuss about him now. He's, like, I think, still a little bit too fresh. Do we want, because... I think his main purpose now is sort of like to be battling um, Arthur for Nimue's attention. So yep. moving to Arthur, let's discuss how they finally get their little romantic moment. First of all, like nudie in the pool, which I was like, <laughs> all right, that's something. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> a little bit. And then they did like a whole like scar kind of exchange like where'd you get that scar doing this where'd you get that scar doing this i'm like is this foreplay what is this <laughs> but um i don't know it was and then he kind of stops it he's like you deserve someone better and then they go to the wedding together or the pairing what do they call it joining joining nice um and then you know they share their you know little fey human kiss and then of course right after that um the Green Knight shows up, but what do you think about the romance? I don't know if I'm. I care. This isn't like I'm not a like I'm not a. I'm not making them a like a, a couple's name or anything yet. Um, Arthur, I don't know. Nymther, doesn't work. <laughs> I did like. Okay, first of all, there was a one liner in that scene as well that I enjoyed when she walks out. First of all, you, where the this like beautiful romantic cave with this like hot bath is just here at their like it's no one else is that i'm like no one else is about to pair like, up I'm like, well that's wow uh but <laughs> when he then he just drops trow <laughs> and drops in the water <laughs> like i was like all right cool i guess that's like and uh she's hesitating and he's like i have seen a naked woman before and she's like, we're all very impressed. Nimue's <laughs> <laughs> got some one-liners. So a, little, a little spark to it. I, I enjoyed that. That was fun. Um, I enjoyed the scene and the, the romance, mostly because I feel like if they excluded it, I would be like, oh, like, so is this not going anywhere? I'm not sure where it's going to go. Um, and I'm not sure what I really want. Like, I'm not so invested in their romance, but what I love about not being so overly invested in their romance is that with Nimue as the main character, as a woman lead, 
I appreciate that the romance is like one aspect of the story and one aspect of her relationship with Arthur. Um, So I feel like I wasn't like, oh, why are they doing this? I was like, okay, this is this. This was obviously going to happen at some point. And I'm interested to see what happens to it. But I still feel that Nimue is fully sketched as a character with or without the romance. I still feel that Arthur has like we got his backstory. We got his motivations. Um, You know, so I I enjoy that aspect of the romance, um, that it's not the core function of either of their characters and especially hers. Yeah, which is why I think we don't feel anything for Gawain, the Green Knight, is because he is the sort of superficial third party in the love triangle. Gawain shows up right after they've had this cute moment where it's like, okay, I will be the one. I will be there for you. And one of my favorite lines was uh, Nimue says to Arthur, your honor was never lost, Arthur. I was like damn it, you're going to make me like this pairing? Um, because that's the only reason Gawain exists, to be a foil Carlos, to Carlos, you're mushy romantic. Look at you. <laughs> Carlos like, pulled out the nicest line. Like, I thought you were going to say, when she, when she sassed him, when he said, I don't want to see you hurt. And she said, you won't, you'll be gone. I was like, oh, bars. Yeah, <laughs> Carlos no. was like, no. <laughs> so, like, they are hyping up this relationship, which is something that I think we talked about earlier um, in a previous episode, where we're like, okay, they're laying some groundwork here for this relationship. And now that it's going to come to fruition, oh, Arthur's my, well, we're friends, aren't we? She says to Gawain when introducing Arthur to Gawain. And then he's like, oh, I'm a better soldier than you. I have a horror story about how I lost my brother to Father Cardin and the Red Paladins. Like, I've been through more than you have, so I am the better man. They're literally fighting over Nimue before she chooses to go with I don't know why. I don't see this as a love triangle. I, I, I genuinely see the Green Knight as, like, just being, like, the kind of older brother figure that for some reason Arthur feels threatened by, but I don't necessarily know if it's... Um, both going both ways. I'm not sure. Maybe just because I'm like, I don't really. I think they left it pretty ambiguous. I, I think yeah. it's like it hasn't, the chips haven't really fallen yet. Keeping up with Arthur, do we want to move on to now his new squire, who I forget the name, but I've been affectionately calling Boy Pim. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. You know, this whole time we were talking about him before, I had no idea who we were talking about until you, <laughs> but you said Boy Pim, and I. Know exactly, exactly who you're talking right? about because it's not. Only I was like, they, "Oh, boy, Pim." They not only kind of to me, they look a little bit alike, you know, yeah. but also like kind of a similar character, like you know, kind of comedic, almost sidekick, but not necessarily. I was devastated when uh, the weeping monk shot him in the throat with the arrow because I, I'll be honest, I really like the character and I kind of wanted to see them go far with it. They this show has a lovely habit of killing out all my favorite characters immediately like they introduce them at the beginning of the episodes and they're gone by the end so you should really love father cardin you should love (laughs) the weeping monk so that they get taken out next you're the jinx i can't stand the weeping monk i really like we see him like burn all the fields i'm like oh that was brutal that was rough and speaking of father cardin we didn't talk about other scary old guy Oh yeah, the one the who was Pope. like, <laughs> was like the welcome. <laughs> Shall you join me? I was like, what is this? 
you told us that you burned the wolf blood witch. And it's like, uh, just to scare her people. It's like, no, you're making her into a symbol. You've given her a name. Like, I thought Father Cardin acted the shit out of that scene. I thought he was, they both did actually. I thought the, the, the acting was really, really strong. I was going to say that he has a big bad. So all this time, Father yes. Cardin commanding the weeping monk has been the big bad. And now we know that this isn't just him sort of doing his own thing. The hierarchy is there. Like this goes all the way up to the Pope in Rome, who's commanding that the Fae be dealt with, that they do all of this really, they, he wants a genocide. The Pope wants a genocide of the people. It's also thing. nice to see the father kind of scared or like a yes. little bit like, oh, shit, yeah, I'm not like, which I was like, I enjoyed a lot. And then I also enjoyed him going up to the weeping monk and being like, you will burn with me, homie. Like, yeah. We're going down together, which I also like because I'm like, yes, there is no honor in this red paladin group. They're just all the worst. Which is also right. like textbook. Like he gets abused by the Pope, and then he puts it right on his subordinates. Like, oh, you think I'm going to die solo? No, no, no. You come in with me. So let's move on to Morgana, who... Yes, please. Yes, Apparently please. knows way more about the Fae than Nimue does. Like, I was like, how does she know all this? And Nimue's here like, wait, what? Well, I actually do have a lot to say about Morgana and her storyline. Um, so one of the things I mentioned in episode three, perhaps when we discover that Morgana and Celia have a romantic relationship, I think I brought up the barrier gaze trope in media where you introduce uh, gay characters and then one is killed off or both are killed off. A lot of gay storylines in movies are sad. Like you have um, your pariahs, you have all of these different movies where queer characters in particular, um, lesbians especially, are killed off. They don't have happy endings. Then we find out that the Abbey was burned with no survivors. Morgana finds out and is distraught, which is literally the trope played out. Like she doesn't, she articulates to Nimue, I don't have anything to live for. Like, yeah, I want to see liberation for the Fey people, but I have nothing to live for. My home was destroyed. And she's like, I should have stayed with her. My thing would have been, I should have forced her to leave with me. Um, <laughs> But it's so much of an emotional journey to have to deal with that. Like, this is war. They are literally fighting for their lives, and they've chosen the, up until this point, losing side. Morgana has chosen the side not of the humans and the Christians, the Red Paladins, the uh, King Uther Pendragon, but she's chosen the side of the Fae, the marginalized people, and is not only dealing with this as a uh, human in this sort of choosing the wrong side, crossing the line, being a traitor. She's also the only queer character that is alive up until this point. Like at the joining, she is dancing with, with a different fae who I read as a woman, a fae woman, um, but everyone else seems to be sort of heterosexually paired up. You have um, Nimue and Arthur dancing. You have the married couple dancing. You have all these different sort of boy, girl, man, woman, straight couples, except for her. So I'm intrigued to see what happens. I really, really, really need Morgana to survive to the end of the series. I would be so heartbroken if the only queer character that we get to know, one of the main women of color, one of the main black women that we get to know, 
doesn't make it to the final cut of the final episode. Because I kind of saw it coming. I'm like, Silly is not going to make it. Like, I kind of figured Morgana had plot immunity being Arthur's, uh, being Arthur's sister and having all of this um, knowledge about the Fae that we even know more about in episode six. Um, I want her to survive. I want more from her uh, because she does bring so much to the story. She tells Arthur, don't be a bum. Go hunt for food because we need food because the weeping monk is doing all of these things. So she's not a passive character, even in sort of her demise of her lover. Like she still is willing to ride out with Nimue during the events of episode six. So I just, that really hit hard. Um, The fallout of the burning of the Abbey with no survivors. Yeah. And you, you, you had mentioned that the last couple episodes, I think, I think you said it more than once. I definitely felt like they introduced Celia and once they had that parting scene where Morgana left and Celia stayed, I was like, <laughs> Celia is fucked. <laughs> Excuse me. But also I, I, I mean, what about Morgana in these <laughs> two episodes? You know, it's, it's kind of, um, it's cool to see her taking on this leadership role. The fact that even the Faye are cool with it. Like, you know, like she's like, like they're coming up to her and be like, Hey, I found this. And she's like, good, get some more of me, more of this. So it's kind of cool to see how they, um, they really have some faith in her, which to me says that she's been part of this for a while. Well, she um, started the underground. Desir said that she's yeah, the one Desir who started the that, underground. Right. So she, even if they don't like that she's human, they respect that she's willing to put her life on the line continuously for at least months getting people to Nemos um, and out of the sort of jurisdiction of the Red Paladins and out of the Abbey safely. I love that she calls out Arthur. I love that she's really uh, a take no crap character, but not in a way that makes her um, sort of heartless. Um, Because one of the sort of tropes that we see for women of color is them sort of being, um, especially for black women, like the angry black woman. She's not that. She's in charge and in command and Mm. respected, but it doesn't veer into that sort of problematic territory. Um, So I like that. Um, And then- And she writes the letter um, from Nimue to Merlin. That was fun. That was a fun piece. Um, She punches it off. I love that bit (laughs) at the end, she says. Um, that That was a nice little scene as well. Yeah, because we get some levity with her because up until this point, it has been very much like, we're going to die if we don't do this right, if we don't move in silence in the Abbey, if we don't engage appropriately. And now they could be a bit more free. And so she does have those moments of levity. where She's like, we're going to tell Merlin what's what, like, you have to do this or we're not giving you this. Like, you have to play by our rules. And I was like, I don't know if I call it levity. (laughs) <laughs> Some pretty serious stuff, but I mean, it's definitely you see her kind of making moves and and as Carlos said, kind of not in a not as in the trope of an aggressive black woman, um, but in a true leadership type role, um, and not not like a looking down upon others' leadership, but she's she's you know like a communitarian leadership role, which is is pretty dope to see. So let's move on to, honestly, one of the more boring characters to me is, is um, Mr. Pendragon. Just not that thrilled. The most exciting thing was the conversation between Merlin and his mom. 
to be honest, um, where we find out that he's not even of, of royal blood, you know? He's, yeah, we basically get the, like, subtle, not so subtle, actually, yeah. allusion <laughs> to the story that the mom basically had a stillborn or, or her, had a baby that didn't survive, and instead they paid off a peasant woman to for her male child that was born at a similar time, paid off... I get, then the mom died a couple of days later, and the only question is, where is the, uh, where is the? I'm about to say handmaiden. What am I trying to say? <laughs> the midwife. The midwife. <laughs> where is the midwife? Um, so it's interesting. I enjoyed it. It's a good Merlin scene. They are the mother Pendragon and his mom are not like the most interesting characters mm-hmm. in this series, but Merlin does some nice character work with them. I thought, at least in that scene. He's a little. Yeah. If we're done with the royal family, yeah, like I'm, I'm totally cool to moving on with the interaction between Merlin and Nimue, because I think that has been the bulk of these two episodes, for sure. You know where Nimue move, goes to the sort of the. I think it's like Moonwing or oh, something. Uh, yeah, Moonwing which is super interesting. So then, you know, she sends off the letter to Merlin and you learn, you know, that not a lot of Faye are too fond of him. You learned about that these last two episodes, that they're all like very distrusting because he helps this man blood king. And then, you know, she has this, so Nimue is able to interact with Merlin, which is becomes super interesting because at the end of the episode five, you find out that Merlin is uh, Nimue's father. Which I did not see coming. Did you guys see it coming? No. <laughs> At the, sort of toward the, like maybe around an episode beforehand, I I started to think about it. I mean, so with the, what's interesting about that is that they left the in the first or second episode, he goes and sees her body, Lenore's body, Nimue's mother's body. So we know there's some sort of connection between them. But at the time I was like, is it romantic? Like, or is it something else? And we find out, that they had a kid <laughs> together yeah. and it's Nimue. And it, it's interesting because when she first met the um, the sorceress, she's like, what are you? She's like, sky folk. She's like, you don't smell sky folk to me. Mm. Oh, she's like half sky folk, half whatever Merlin is. So I thought that was sort of leading up to, I remember when she said that, I was like, oh, I thought maybe because she got like some of that bear scratch Mm-hmm. left in her that's no like, by the time she said that i was like yeah really i didn't catch yeah, it I, I, only like... thought, I only thought back to it when they find out that merlin is her dad which it's also like how did she even come to that conclusion but anyway i thought it was pretty cool um it adds a whole new dimension to the story and then at the beginning of episode six we have nimue deciding to go to meet merlin um, against the Green Knight's wishes, but you know she's trying to fulfill her mom's last wishes, so I'm I'm all for it. And then she brings Kaze, who is another Fae, with her as an escort, and also Morgana. So I'm just gonna say this because seeing the scene with them riding off, oh my god! <laughs> my first thought was like, did they really give? No, Nimue on the white horse is definitely intentional. I don't know about the black and brown horse matching up um, exactly, but it is very much they're, like they're the literally, trope they're of like, literally like a, They're literally in like a shade order, by the way. Like Nimue, who you, you would think Nimue would be in the center, 
she's like all the way at the end and then there's Morgana and then there's Kaze, which I, I was thinking, I was just like, yeah, I really couldn't just give him like different horses. <laughs> he just had to like add to the effect to it. But it also makes Nimue stand out so a yep. lot more, which kind of, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I actually do know how I feel about it. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. But, you know, it's not the most important thing um, with this. But, you know, they, they so they go off to these ruins. Nimue has her meeting with... Wait, um, I want to say something about this scene. It was a different observation than yours, Omar. Yeah. It was the fact that we meet Kaze at the beginning of this episode, and she seems cool. And then he, she, Nimue has that, like, that kind of sassy scene with the two guys where mm-hmm. the guys both want to come. And she's like, you know what? I'm taking Kaze. And they <laughs> go out and then Morgana's like, I'm coming. And they all go out and it's like, oh yeah, like ladies trip. Like let's, <laughs> let's freaking go. And they ride out and you get the scene, the scene of them on the horses. And then like, they're not <laughs> Morgana and Kaze are not part of the next se- series of scenes. Yeah. Like, I'm like, what are they there for? I thought we were going on an adventure. And they just, I'm like, what are they, sitting outside? Yeah. Right now? Right. Were, I get that that's like what sports. what I guess needs to happen. It's just, they hyped me up at that that rocking scene. I was like, yeah. this, is, this is pretty dope. And then it was just really not what I was expecting. Yeah. yeah no, it's I definitely gassed up in a particular way that doesn't pay off. But I did like that she chose her Kaze over another random dude or one of the two dudes to sort of play into that love triangle or just triangle dynamic. Because in a lesser story, that's what she would have done. It would have been like, I'm going to take Arthur and Gawain would have been pissed or I'm going to take Gawain and Arthur would have been pissed. It's like, you know what? Kaze, let's roll out. Which I like, I love that. It was a very sort of cheesy girl power moment that then amounted to nothing given that um, (laughs) they didn't get to do anything. Like, they're just sitting there. But I do think, given the end of episode six, that because they're together, Nimue's going to be in a better situation at the end, uh, at the beginning of episode seven than she would have been if she didn't have them with her. Yeah. We learn about the history between Nimue's mother and Merlin, where she saved him because he was sick, because the sword was pretty much poisoning him from the inside out. Um, She pulled out the sword he thanked her with sex <laughs> like um but then but yeah and then for some reason he decided to show that to them way which i was kind of like what are you doing so like here's a scene of me pounding your mom but Didn't uh she, like demand to see it not that because she was like not this not this. <laughs> i'm pretty sure she did not demand i was like let me see my conception it was interesting how that played out but then you kind of see the history between the two you find out this is where Merlin lost his power. So for some, in some way, the sword was giving him power at some point. I don't know if that's necessarily his, was always his source of power, though. Um, so we get a little bit of that history. We see that there was really deep affection between the two. You also see that there was a part of Merlin who he was very drawn to having that power. And when he found out that he could no longer have it, he lashed out and he tried to apologize, but then Lenore was like, no, get out, which I think might've been a way to protect him. I wonder, cause he was like, I don't want him to go power hungry again. We also find out that 
we kind of see the history of how Merlin and the sword were, where it was a very violent, very intense history where it, he was almost like taken over by the sword. You know what I mean? And, and killing a bunch of Romans, innocent Romans, and from the looks of it, he says. But then he tries to insist in a way that that wasn't necessarily the case. It was the cause that he believed in, but that he did make mistakes. So she's left not trusting him anymore. They used to have kind of a cool interaction. He was helping her listen to the, um, what are the whispers from the earth again called? The hidden. The hidden, yeah. Which actually was my favorite one-liner. Where she, where he was like trying to get her angry, and he, she started talking smack about her mom, and she was like, and she was like, "Speak ill of my mother, and you will see some dangerous magic." Which I was like, "Oh!" So that was my line, favorite line of the this episode. But what did you guys think about this whole new um, storyline? I enjoyed this. This is for me where Merlin took on a lot of um, texture in these couple of episodes, which yes. I thought was really enjoyable. And it really helps. He's it's only been five or six episodes and he's come a long way for the viewer from just like a like, oh, it's like funny drunk Merlin. Now he's got he gets so much story, you know, and I really am enjoying that. There Arthur has got his story, Morgana has backstory. We, we get a lot of people's fully fleshed out character, and now we get even more of Merlin. I don't have a ton to say about the scenes, but I did just in general enjoy learning more of the backstory. Um, and I think it's fun. I think, um, you know, the, the Nimue Merlin relationship is, is fun and interesting. We learn more about the power of the sword, which is, seems like it's obviously central to the Arthurian legend. It was a little uh, frustrating at the end when then, King's people ride up on them and she's like, you betrayed me. I'm like, uh, did he? Yeah. I was kind of like, I was like, you've got, and she was so like, she was done. So that was a little bit, a little bit to cut people off. But I think it was that scene where seeing him slaughter the people. I think that really messed her up. But I'll be honest, for a while, a little bit, I was like, come on, like, (laughs) you're just going to cut him off like that. Of course, it makes sense because you got to think like we like Berlin as the viewers yeah. and we've been watching him do whatever he's doing. But for her, he's like a guy that works for the, the thing. So, yeah. For Pendragon. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of depth. Like she's like, oh, you meet up with your long lost daughter and you don't prepare a meal. And he like freaks out and gets really like troubled by the fact that she's not eating. So he like prepares a meal for her like he's like oh this was such and such king's favorite dish and she's like it's all right um so it was nice to see the sort of depth he like immediately goes full father mode thinking back to previous episodes it is kind of obvious now that he was her father the whole time because when he's doing the storm he's like there's the birth of a magical child which could be his child, given sort of his bloodline being a shadow lord, the mother being sort of the high priest of the sky people, and now she is the um, the seeker. I forgot what her title was, episode one, um, <laughs> so long ago now. Um, but sort of all of the stars are sort of aligning in a particular way. They see each other in their nightmares or their sort of flashbacks, like they're sort of visualizing each other, like when he has a sword cut out of his body in episode one or two like he has visions of Nimue and we're like oh like 
what is this? Now we can better understand some of that. Um, so it was nice to see it add some humanity to Merlin, including the fact that he f- messed up. We know he's been advising kings of men for hundreds of years at the very minimum. So he's been around for a while. You're going to make mistakes. Just looking at me in my own personal life 20 years ago, like was a very different person than I am now. And in 20 years, I'll probably look back at this podcast and be like, yikes, I said that? (laughs) Um, We're all sort of constantly growing. Obviously, I haven't committed mass murder (laughs) um, with a power sword. What were you doing 20 years ago, Carlos? Um, But it is sort of important to think about in the perspective of living for thousands of years, what does your youth look like? Um, what does a younger time in your life look like? And he is trying to protect her. He's trying to keep her from making his mistakes, which I think a lot of parents do. It's just the scales are a lot higher in this. So you felt that. It felt real. The fact that he chose this place where two lovers died in each other's arms, um, that also felt really apropos to the story of how him and his lover sort of ended. They made a baby that he didn't get to have any part of her life And now she can't fully trust him, even though he wants her to. And the beginning of their interaction is like, I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do with the sword. And then at the end, he's like, I'm going to destroy the sword. If that helps you, like, trust me more. And she's like, what do you mean destroy? This is the one thing that could save our people, my people. Um, So I think it just added a lot of depth that we needed to see. And it didn't automatically go to, oh, you're my dad. I love you. It's it seems more realistic, their bonding and connecting in those scenes, Um, including her knowing he's hiding something and her demanding to see it when she uses the beads herself to have the spirit to bring her the memories he doesn't want her to see. So what do we anticipate might be happening between the two of them? I think that she's eventually going to start to trust him. I genuinely don't know what's going to happen with the sword, though. Do we want to discuss favorite scene, least favorite scene? Who's your current MVP character? Let's go. Uh, Carlos, start us off. I think my favorite character um, from these two episodes is probably Morgana. Just dealing with... uh, She left everything behind to fight for this cause, to put her life on the line for Fey Liberation. She didn't know her parents because her dad died when she was a kid. Didn't really get raised with her brother because she was in the Abbey. So... Celia and Arthur are the only people she has, and now that's all gone. Like, the abbess was taken away, who she seemed to have a deep relationship with a couple episodes ago. Um, So, yeah, um, really enjoying her character. I guess my favorite moment... I guess my least favorite moment, I'll start there instead. Iris is in Nemos, um, and Morgana and Nimue don't know, um, which is putting everyone there at risk, depending on how she moves, how she changes or doesn't change. I don't know if they're putting her on a redemption arc or not. I wouldn't think so, but we'll have to wait and see how she plays out. So that's probably least fave. Um, I guess my favorite moment is her, is Nimue telling the boys, it's like, I'm going to roll out with Kaze instead. (laughs) Um, And then they leave. Though I did, even though he's a boring character, I did like Merlin's interaction with the king leading into his interaction with his mother. 
there was something about that that felt different than the other scenes we'd seen with the king and Merlin before, where the king was very much attacking Merlin and sort of coming at him um, angrily. There seemed to be maybe more of a meeting of equals in that instance. I don't know, something about that sort of hit different this time than when we've seen them before. Um, so, How about you, Carmen? Oh, I'm sorry, did I call you? No, 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 I was just going to say, so I think that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> right, Carmela. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I don't know about a favorite scene. I actually, I really enjoyed a lot of episode five because of all the character work. It was like most of the scenes were building character and a lot of kind of interpersonal conversation. Um, so I'll just say that that in general was a highlight for me. I didn't find the battle in episode six, like particularly interesting. It was kind of long for me than what, like if the thing is burning, uh, whatever, what is it? A haystack or something, Not a, a mill, <laughs> the mill. It was just like, I know I get why it was there, but it was long. It was like, Oh my God, there's still this mill. <laughs> um, and I loved the same scene. Carlos said where she, she picked Kaze was fun. And the, the promise of that one scene where they're riding off together. <laughs> was exciting. Um, as far as favorite characters, as of right now, Morgana is probably also my favorite in terms of who she is. I enjoyed the comic relief scenes with Pim tremendously in their small amounts. And I, I do find Merlin increasingly becoming kind of like the, the center of my intrigue. Yeah, I'm, I appreciate the complexity of his story as well. Um, I would agree for, you know, for favorite characters, mine have been pretty much the same. Pim brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Merlin, I find the most fascinating. And I love this, this last couple episodes where we learned so much more about his history, which I think is so awesome. I like seeing him more than like the kind of drunk wizard that we see in the beginning. So I'm excited about that. Morgana, I think it is just an amazing character. I'm definitely excited to see where we go with her. And I like seeing her in this like leadership powerful role actually, which is also kind of why I was a little bit like also disappointed when she went off with uh, Nimue because then she basically just became like the escort. And I was just like, oh, come on. I can do more than that. Yeah. Favorite scene. I, I actually really like the, everything going on between Merlin and uh, Nimue. So I was super excited about that. Least favorite th- scene is anything involving the weeping monk. I just get so angry seeing, seeing him light that stuff on fire really pissed me off. And then seeing him kill boy Pim also really messed me up. I would say that's it. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing the next couple of episodes of Cursed. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at play.hype.dialogue and listen wherever you listen to your podcasts.